Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the iTalk Credit Radio Show with your host, Ira Royal. Using financial literacy to inspire, motivate, and empower people to set and achieve goals in all aspects of life. Join us every Thursday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Cat Builder Network. To be a guest or for more information, go to italkcredit.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Talk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal, where we focus on empowering, challenging, and educating communities around topics dealing with credit literacy, not just credit, any type of financial literacy. Now, that's our main mission on this show. We all come together. We invite people on the show who have experience in the industry, who have had successes, who have had failures, and we just all learn from one another. So I welcome you. Welcome to another show. It's all about real and relevant discussions on things that affect us on a daily basis, right? So I appreciate your support. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate the feedback. Um, We have a wonderful show lined up today, and I'm excited about it. You know, typically when we have our show, we'll have people come on and they'll talk about, you know, hey, I'm a banker or, you know, I'm I'm in the, the mortgage industry or I run a youth empowerment program. We've had people from Operation Hope. We've had people from other nonprofits on, just come and talk about their commitment to the community. But today we're going, we're going to take a little different spin on it, right? Today we're going to have somebody, and they're going to talk about it from the business aspect, right, the business side of things, um, what that organization might be doing or helping other organizations do to help you, the consumer, right? So we have Miss Angela Mitchell on the show today. I'm excited. She has over 15 years in the financial services industry. She's helped banks, credit unions, and other type of lending institutions really focus on what they need to do to make sure the consumer has a good experience, right? So we're going to have her on the show, and she's going to talk about exactly what she does. But I want to do that because it, we can't just hear it from the consumer side, right? What's in it for me? Um, what do I need in terms of maybe a credit product or how we're helping others? But we need to hear it from an organizational standpoint as well so we can understand exactly what they're doing in the community and why they're doing it. So we can have some sense of knowledge about, hey, it's not just about me. There are other things in the works, right? Multi-million dollar corporations that have strategic plans in not only the U.S., but across the globe. And I'm not saying we need to be masters of it, but we need to have a little bit of knowledge of exactly what's going on, know who our bureaus are, what their mission is, and how they're evolving over the year. So we got a great show lined up. We're going to take a little break, quick break. And when we come back, we're going to bring Ms. Mitchell on. We're just going to have a holistic conversation. I'm excited. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. This is iTalk Credit from the Cat Builder Network. Must have made 
Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. Had a little bit of Temptations, my girl. You know, one of the things that we're saying on this show is, you know, we're, we're trying to make credit sexy again, right? We're not just trying to have a platform where all we do is just give all, you know, here are the 12 facts the, that, or, or the 12 topics or steps you need to improve your credit or this is what you need to do to fix your life. We're not just about that. We have different people that come on and talk about those things, but we really want to make this a platform where we have fun, we really learn, and we're engaged. Um, because finances can be monotonous, right? They can be kind of boring. But I believe, you know, when we're out talking to people, we definitely have to be proactive about making sure that we keep people engaged and understanding that this is serious stuff, but we can also have a little fun with it, right? Right. So I'll get off my soapbox. We're going to bring Miss Angela Mitchell onto the show. Miss Mitchell, how you doing? Very well. Hello, Ira. Thank you for having me with you and your listeners this evening. No, thank you for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I can't wait to hear some of the things that you have to say because you've been in this industry for a long time, and um, I know you have a lot of learned a lot and seen a lot. But I just appreciate you coming in and sharing with people because it's, it's not every day that I think um, you know people really have insight into what's going on at some of these major organizations who are essentially have a really huge part in our financial lifestyles. And it's always good when we can hear from people who've been there, who've done that, and give us different perspectives on it, right? Right. In my day-to-day business life, because I've got a multifaceted life, um, in my day-to-day business life, what I do 
is I work alongside financial institutions in helping them to identify what is good, what is bad, and how they can maximize both ends of that relationship. So, for instance, um, we all know about a consumer credit score known as a FICO, but that's not the end-all and be-all of who we are in our credit or consuming of credit life. There's other ways to help them identify consumers that they can and will be doing business with, and my role is to help them see a broader spectrum of attributes about consumers so that those who look good on paper really are good, and those who might be borderline may have other attributes about them that show that they're worthy. And that's what every consumer wants, is to feel worthy and to be recognized, not necessarily for where they've been, but for where they're going. Yeah, you're you're so right. And I I want to jump in and and input something right quick. And I'm glad you said this. You said that there's more than just the credit score, that FICO score, and I'm so glad that you said that. That's one of the things that I really try to say on each show is that if you're just totally fixated on that score, that three-digit number, then you're missing a large piece of the puzzle, right? Um, There are other things on your report that are identifiers or unique identifiers, and there's other things that you can be doing in your daily life that you can be focused on, that mental aspect of being aware of your daily behaviors that really should equate to that score um, and kind of have some correlation. But I'm glad that you said that, though, so that, that's super important. One thing I want to ask well, for instance, you, so Laura, for, ahead, mm-hmm. for instance, when someone has been through a downturn and it's been hard to keep current with payments, they feel as though that's going to be the albatross around their neck forever. And What I'd like to say is that there's so many different attributes you that now lenders are beginning to take a closer look at. For instance, how well you pay your rent, down to how simply and how quickly and how frequently you keep up with your utilities. You've got a cell phone. I've got a cell phone. And That is something that travels with you whether you move from state to state. One of the things that they look at now is, have you been paying your utilities? Do you have a stable payment history? And that helps them to lend deeper. So although, let's say, 680 might be a pleasant place to be on a FICO chart, not everybody's there yet. Or... It takes credit to get credit. So if you don't have a new car payment, if you bought cash, you know, then how do you enrich your credit profile? One of those factors is your utility payments. So everybody who listens to this show is astute. They're smart. They're sharp, right? But for the people like me who did not know until an older age what FICO meant, can you break down what what is FICO? Some of the listeners who they don't know it, all they know is the credit score. All right. FICO is a proprietary company known as Fair Isaac Company. FICO has a history in the industry and 
what they do is they design algorithms that help to predict someone's credit behavior based upon their past credit behavior. Now, there's different types of FICO scores out there, and I want consumers to know that just because you buy your credit score or even if a website says, here's your credit score for free, it may not be the same version that the lender is using. So you may pull your credit report and get a credit score because the score is only evidence of what's in that credit report. So you can't just get a score. There's got to be a file behind it. So with that credit score and file, you may think that you're a 690. However, a lender may be using a different, more robust version of a FICO score, and they may be seeing more details about your credit behavior than even you are aware of, and therefore their analysis may turn up a different score. Wow, that's so important. That's so vital. And um, listeners, I hope you guys are taking notes because she's giving you, she's telling you things that you know you don't necessarily hear from your bankers, right? And sometimes, well, if you have a really good mortgage um, agent, they might give you some of this. But really, take notes and, and do further deep diving and research on what she's talking about because um, this is really good information. It'll help you now and in the future. But Ms. Mitchell, I want to go back to you made a statement that some of the bureaus are looking at people's rental history or they have some type of scoring model that takes into, um, you know, they take into consideration that rental history and utilities. That's something different, right? So we've always heard about, like, Vantage score and some of these other risk scores out here that are starting to move in that direction. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about what's the reasoning behind that? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but we're seeing a really sharp turn in the credit industry where they're really taking up these alternative data points and, and basically painting pictures of people's payment histories and credit lifestyle by things other than mortgages and car notes and personal loans. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, yes. Um, some of this information is proprietary, but I can give you a high-level understanding. Everything that a utility company does when you go to open your new gas uh, gas line service, your new t- uh, landline service, your um, cable or um, satellite dish service, that information travels with you. So you may move from the state of Texas to the state of Tennessee, but the utility companies go to a common database, and they look and see how you've paid your utilities in the past. That allows them to determine whether or not they need to charge a deposit, service fees, or what your monthly rate will be. So even though there's an advertised rate of the $99 Based upon your behavior with your past utilities, you may not be eligible for that bundle. However, let's assume that you are credit worthy, that you have been paying your utilities. That may be the one thing that goes positive towards your credit profile. 
even though your telco and utility, it's not a credit relationship, in a way, they're extending service to you for at least 30 days on the anticipated hope that you will pay at the end of 30 days. If you're paying those telcos, those utilities, on a regular basis, it helps to establish a positive profile of you. Well, what if the credit gurus were to take that information and paint a profile of you? They would be able to say to a financial lender, look, even though Ira doesn't have a car or Ira doesn't own a house, Ira might be eligible for a line of credit, a signature loan, $500. And here's proof that he's worthy. So that's important for somebody who's just starting out, whether they are rebuilding their credit just out of college, trying to buy their first apartment or their first home. It takes credit to get credit. And so these new scores that are based on non-traditional data, its purpose is to help give a leg up for people. And financial institutions find it very useful. Let's say that it's a credit union that works with the military. Well, these are young men and women who may not have purchased even a car. So in order for this person to get a car, they go to the credit union, they say, uh, here's proof that I'm in the military, that I've been in active duty service for a year. Here's my pay history. I'd like to be approved for a car loan. Well, they look at this person's credit, and it's very thin, what's called a thin file. They might have a student loan that they've just started paying off in the last six months. Using this kind of credit score, a telco utility analysis, will help that lender get a deeper, broader picture of this new applicant. And so it does help. Hopefully, you're paying your telco bills and keeping these services on without a lot of shutoffs because negative behavior follows you also. You know, I'd like to share with your listeners, I'd like to share with your listeners what it's like in the real world for someone like myself. You see, I didn't start out perfect. I started out dumb and blind. Okay? I was fat, dumb, and happy. And by that, what I'm saying is, I counted on my pay. And my, as long as my pay kept growing year after year, I figured I was fine. And because my pay kept growing, card offers kept coming. And my husband and I were both working great jobs. This was just before just before the financial downturn. Well, when that hit, I went from the realization that I was not on the good ship lollipop. I was on the Titanic. Everything tanked. And I had two sons in college. How do you pay for that? How do you stay abreast? How do you catch your breath when Everything in your life was credit-based, and now your credit is sunk. I was out of work. 
my husband was out of work? What were we to do? It took a number of years to get back up on my feet. So instead of believing that cash was king, I realized that I had, well, I had stepped out on my boo known as credit, okay? And I had to get back, I had to get that right again. When I went to my job, when I looked across metro area for employment, the one thing I feared was the fact that my credit was going to be pulled. Does anyone else relate to that? When you're job hunting, your credit has been misused and abused, and now the first thing they want to know other than can you type is how's your credit? I realized that I realized that I had taken a good thing for granted. And then my son said to me that God had put me where he put me in the job I'm in now so that I could be a blessing to others. And he was right. And that's why I'm with you and your audience today. I want people to know that where you were is not indicative always of where you'll be. You have to take stock in what you are, who you are, what you did, and what you want to do better. Educating yourself is the first step. Taking steps to clean up your credit is the next most important thing. And let me advise you, cleaning up your credit isn't going to a credit mill. Those dispute lawyers that say we'll help you dispute everything on your credit, Believe me, it doesn't work. It boomerangs back. So the best thing to do is to practice good credit behavior. Can I share with you how that looks? Please. This is great information. One of the most important things is how much credit should I have? Take as much credit as you're given. The question is, Don't use it all. So let's say you get a credit card with a $1,000 credit limit. Don't use all 1,000. Don't even use 500. Keep it to 300. So that is 30% of your available credit. That's what lenders look at, and that's a positive credit score. Once your available credit keeps getting eaten up by one more pair of shoes, one more McDonald's meal, one more Starbucks coffee, once you start getting in the habit of using all your available credit, lenders see that, and they're not inclined to give you more. The more credit you use, the less they trust you because they're looking at your debt to your income. That's an important ratio. So even though your income may continue to grow, practice the habit of keeping your utilization low. That's a very important ratio, and it's 30%. Um, you know, um, you just said mouthful, and first thing I want to touch on is I appreciate you telling your story, and I appreciate you um, Letting us know that because as consumers can think 
you see people with these huge homes and fancy cars and all these possessions that you have to use for credit, and they think that, oh, man, you know, these people might have never went through anything. They've never had a situation where no one um, denied them from credit. They don't know how we feel, right? They can't relate to us. But what we just heard is, you know, everybody isn't, you know, you, you, Rome wasn't built in, in, in one day, right? And people go through different phases in their life. But the point is to really be proactive and be focused on um, understanding where you want to be in the future. One thing that we always say on the show, nobody is judging anybody. The only thing we want to hold you accountable for is what are you doing right now to change the trajectory of your right, your life dealing with finances? What are you doing to put yourself in a position where you can be successful? And what you just told audiences, be empowered, be inspired, because where you are right now, you don't have to be there if you have a plan um, and if you really are focused in on changing your credit lifestyle. So I really appreciate that. And one of the things yes. I want to ask you, what do you think that, um, in your opinion, so some of the institutions, are they really concerned um, with, like, people's safety and their um, you know, identity theft? What are some of the things that um, that they hold important when they're thinking about consumers other than just selling you some type of credit product? That's a good question, Ira. And I would have to say that in my daily daily contact with financial institutions, one of the most important questions they have is, how can I verify that this applicant is who they say they are? When you go to open an account at a bank or a credit union, there's things that you carry with you, your driver's license. You may even have with you your Social Security card. But something from home that says this is the address I live at, such as a utility bill. When they open the account with you, they inquire from a credit bureau for a copy of your credit report. They want to validate and compare your physical identity to what's showing up in the bureau. Now, take a step ahead. What about the instances where something might be done online? Let's say that you decide you're sitting at home, you've got your tablet up, and you decide to apply for a loan. So you go on to your financial institution's website or one of these aggregators who say, we're going we're gonna to give you back four loan, office, loan offers. You're looking for a signature loan. You're looking for a car. You're looking for a mortgage. Sign up here, and we'll check with a lot of financial institutions and lenders, and we'll give you a look at all of the best that meet your needs. So that's an instance where you're not physically in a brick-and-mortar institution. So behind the scenes, those applications are going through what's called authentication. So it's looking at identity attributes such as um, the physical item, which was your bank credit card. They might say put in the last four digits of your bank credit card or put in your driver's license, date of birth, address. 
social security number. And by the way, make sure that you know where you're putting this information, okay? They're testing you. You need to test them as well. So hover your mouse over the URL of that website and make sure that it comes back. If you think you're on Bank of Wisconsin, make sure that when you hover over the URL that it does indeed say Bank of Wisconsin and not someplace in Afghanistan, okay? And I'm just using that aside to remind the consumer that they have a responsibility in protecting their identity. So back to what happens behind the curtain. It's going out to a credit report from one of the bureaus, and it's checking has Angela used this same information before? And is it something that's verifiable? And instantaneously, it's checking all of what's called your personal identification information, or PII, your name, how you spelled it. Because if your name is Sean, are you spelling it S-H-A-W-N or S-E-A-N? And it's looking to make sure that there's no anomalies. It's also looking to see if that address really exists. You typed in 123 Main Street. Well, what if Main Street for that zip code only goes up to 120? Okay, it's starting to check. And what if your date of birth and your Social Security misalign? In other words, are you... Are you putting in a Social Security for a minor? Okay, and it realizes that by the date of issuance of that Social Security number. So if all things check out, then it moves to asking you questions, things that only you should know. For instance, um, what state was this driver's license issued in? Or um, what address did you previously live at? And it might give you one or two options. And you're supposed to pick the address you used to live at. How does it know that? Because at one time it was part of your credit profile. So once it does these in-wallet and out-of-wallet kinds of questions, it's then going to ask things like, what's the year of your, of your automobile? You know, what's the make and model of your car? What color is your car? If you don't answer these questions correctly, it might give a pause and say, please stop in our branch, (laughs) you know, and bring some identification with you. But what's really important is these kinds of questions are not designed to be intrusive. They're designed to ensure that you are who you say you are, especially now that we're using um, remote capture. For instance, um, being able to take a photo of a check that your grandmother gave you for your birthday to deposit it into the bank. Um, It now is able to identify and authenticate your device. So whether you decide to Um, take a photo capture using your cell phone 
and you've done that before, but today you decide to do it with your tablet. First, it wants to recognize your tablet. So a lot of times when we're doing things online and it says, do you mind if we identify your location? That's part of the background capturing of data that builds a profile of you. And then when you're actually doing a a financial transaction, that bank has a history of you and your device. So what's important is that as a consumer, you're aware of what's going on technologically, but that you're also aware of what's happening in terms of the minds of people who are not necessarily good people. For instance, people who are phishing, um, who are scamming, who are just trying to get you to release pieces of information so that over time they're, they're gearing up to identity theft. That's a real concern for financial institutions and for the Federal Trade Commission. There's a lot that's out there that can help you to protect yourself I would recommend that you first start looking at a very important and easy-to-follow website, and that is ftc.gov, the Federal Trade Commission website. And it talks in great deal about components of fraud and common approaches to how people are out there trying to defraud you of your identity especially now that we're in tax season, um, making sure that whatever you hold near and dear, such as your social security number and your driver's license and your credit cards, that that information isn't being misused or pulled from you, fraudulent methods. You know, one of the things that I'm glad that you touched on and is identity theft. And, you know, I want to tell people just it's a real thing. Like data breaches, cyber intrusion, and people dealing with identity theft is something that is year over the year is getting worse. Um, a company called Risk-Based Security, they provide analytics, they compile analytics um, that really give you a snapshot of how many data breaches have occurred on an annual basis. And 2016, it actually broke the, broke the record um, for the most data breaches. We had over 4.2 billion records exposed in 2016. These records um, could be credit report information, medical information, bank information, um, you know, information on your investments. So really take the time to understand that when you're on the computer and you're answering certain questions, why that's there. Um, when, they're t- when people are telling you, no, don't give anybody your debit card or don't give anybody your pen, um, you really have a sense of awareness of why people are saying that, and you're not just following blindly, right? I mean, that's, it's so important to understand what the people across from the table are talking about and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, again, that's a part of being at the table. Um, you stand for something or you fall for anything, I'll always say. But I'm glad that's you touched right. on data breach and, and, and cyber intrusion because it's a real thing, and I'm glad that you work with institutions that take that seriously, and they're not just about pushing products but they're about making sure that their consumers, their clients, or soon-to-be clients are safe. That's huge. 
I want to draw your attention to, and the, and the listeners as well, that identity theft is portrayed as a high-tech crime affecting only those who shop, communicate, or do business online. But the truth of the matter is thieves obtain personal information, yes, online, but the majority of theft occurs offline. So they're stealing wallets and purses. Or you leave yours at the counter, okay? I was just with someone the other day at the bank, and she left her driver's license. I mean, people make mistakes. We're distracted in life. But then they can also intercept or reroute your mail. So they look at homes for sale and go to the post office or online and fill out a change of address form, rerouting that mail to a new P.O. box that's there, okay? They rummage through your garbage, then, then they pull out your, your um, prescription information, your information from your health care providers, your insurance companies, your mortgage company, and you may not even be aware that this has occurred, but use a shredder, okay? Um, some people even bag up all their trash, leave it in the garage, all their paper trash, that is, leave it in the garage until such time that they can take it to a shredding service. Sometimes your um, your office supply company or your county or your city government office will have a shred day, okay? Well, I'm sorry, it's so much simpler just to pay $25 and buy your own shredder. Before you put anything of personal content in the, in the trash, if you don't have a shredder, use a Sharpie. That's, that's called um, redacting. So just redact all of your personal identification information, front, back, upside down, wherever you saw it, including the barcode envelope. What you don't want is for someone to take advantage of an offer that you've declined. Let's talk about credit offers for a second, Ira. There's two kinds. There's what's called an invitation to apply, and then there's what's called a firm offer of credit. And why is this important? Because both both in their own simple ways affect your credit. Let's say it's an invitation to apply. Well, how do I know the difference? Because the mail piece will say, you're a wonderful person and we want you to join us in our financial institution. Or you're a wonderful person and we really want you to come down and buy a car. Hey, this Saturday it's Friends and Family Day at our store. Wouldn't you like to have a credit card? Be one of our friends and family? That's an invitation to apply. As soon as you fill out that application or pick up the phone to apply, you're giving them permission to pull your credit. Whether you're accepted or whether you're declined, the fact is you initiated a request for credit when you responded. 
Therefore, it goes on your credit report. Not the fact that they made you an offer by mail. That offer by mail shows up on your credit report as what's called a soft entry because the offer doesn't affect your credit score. What you do as a consumer affects your credit score. Okay? What happens when you get a firm offer of credit? What does that look like? A firm offer of credit says, hi, we're your neighborhood financial institution and we have great rates on cars. Our great rates are as low as 3.9%. However, our offer is for up to $35,000 and you're pre-approved for up to $35,000 subject to final credit approval. Call us today and we'll make it okay. All right? So now you call and you say, I got your offer letter. And they say, read us the code or come on in, whatever it might be. As soon as they pull your credit, now you are obligated for that offer. But the fact that they made you the offer, even though it was a firm offer, they can still turn you down if, for instance, something has materially changed, like you left your job yesterday, okay? You don't have income, therefore your debts to your income are out of whack, out of, out of ratio. So... Whether you choose to respond to an invitation to apply or if you choose to respond to a firm offer of credit, as soon as you respond and ask for that credit, it is a tick mark against your credit score because they're basically saying, if you can live your life 365 days a year without adding any more debt, you're good. But if you add more debt, you're more of a risk. So be careful as you're walking through stores, particularly when you're at the register and they say, would you like to open a credit card today? You can get an additional 10% off. Well, what good is 10% off if the interest is 29%. So use your head. Apply for credit only when you absolutely need it. And when you need it, don't use more than 30% of what they've given you. Pay it off every month. So if you've got $1,000 worth of credit and you've used 300 the best, approach is to pay the 300 because every month that you don't pay the full amount, it adds interest. So whether that interest is 3% or 29%, be prepared to see that add up fast. That's really good information. And again, you know, I hope people are really taking it seriously and taking notes because here's what it really boils down to. So we always talk about credit restoration. We see, you know, we say, you know, you need to get your credit score in this type of range and you'll have financial freedom. But one of the things that we talk about on this show is the idea of obtaining it, 
maintaining it, and then explaining it. And I believe once you've crossed that bridge, right, once you've obtained it, there are certain things that you need to know that you need to be aware of so you can maintain it, right, maintain that credit score that you want, maintain that financial freedom, whether it's savings, whether it's investments, um, whether it's, you know, having a, a, a living, breathing budget. You have to maintain those things, and that takes being proactive and being knowledgeable about what you're doing on a daily basis, those behaviors, that mentality, right? And then third one, explain it. Make sure the information that you're learning today, you talk to somebody about it. I say talk to your kids because now we're living in an age where kids are being exposed to finances, you know, extremely fast, right? You know, they're getting accounts now when they first turn 18 and they're getting offered credit cards, maybe not on the college campuses, but all the college campuses, right? But we're living in a day and age where people are using PayPal and, and Google Google Pay, and there's so many electronic devices that, hey, you can use your finances on here. They have to be knowledgeable, right? They have to be aware and be proactive. And, Angela, for my final question to you is, what do you think the listeners can do to prepare their kids? Like all this information that you share today, where should they even start? You know, how can they prepare their kids so once they become of age, start dealing in personal finances, they can be ahead of the eight ball? That's a very good question, and as you were posing it, I was thinking of all the ways that I learned. Um, there are, let's say that your, that your middle school or high school has a credit union. That credit union is posed to train students in how to be good credit financial users. So it shows them how to save. It shows them how to um, write checks. It shows them how to apply for a short loan. And students who work at the credit unions within their schools, they are the they are the financial officers. So even there might even though there's a representative of the credit union behind the desk. The students are on the front line acting as tellers. So wherever you're exposed, take advantage of it. I know that in the city of Atlanta, there is a financial, um, I don't have it in front of me, but I know that one of the bureaus uh, here in Atlanta participated in a uh, community Reinvestment Act initiative and is doing financial literacy in South Atlanta, part of the community service that they're doing. And they're involved there with um, several credit unions, a bank, and um, they're there to help consumers learn how to pull themselves up and therefore re-enrich their families. Additionally, any financial institution, but particularly credit unions, have student savers programs. So when you go on the website of your community credit union, you'll see that they have a program just for young people. So it should start as soon as a child is getting an allowance. So we're talking seven years old. Uh, You do a chore, you might get 50 cents. The design should be um, one-third save, one-third spend, one-third give. So 
so that might be tithing at church. It might be helping out at the local food bank so that children learn that money isn't free, but that even though they've earned it, they think it's coming directly from money, okay? But they still have to realize that they have a financial responsibility with that money. And if a child personally wants to get an um, action figure or a video game and it's out of their financial means, well, then baby, save for it. Don't go out and buy it for them. They have to understand that there is a responsibility with money. We can either be at one end of the spectrum or the other, Ira, either as households that are skin flints, never, ever, ever, ever having credit. My daddy, my mommy, they always saved up and bought everything cash. Well, that's a nice life in the 1940s. Believe me, credit moves the world today. You have to be part of it. You have to be literate and responsible, but you will be at one point or another part of the credit society. And credit society is global. So in order to be part of the global society, you can't put your head in the ground and say, I'll never use credit. So you have to be taught early. The other thing that we're taught early is you use the debit card to buy at McDonald's. You use the debit card or the credit card for everything. And a child never sees the cash behind it. They're almost like they're two different entities. So when the child wants something, they want a new upgrade to their app on their Apple iPhone so that they can play the latest game, they're running up their parents' credit because, oops, it's just a card. Because their parents are not explaining the correlation between the plastic and the paper. And they're not explaining the correlation between the paper and the labor. That it takes good hard work to earn that money. And that that card is just a representative of what's behind it, which is cash. If you don't have cash to pay off that debt, then you shouldn't build up that debt. And a child should learn that one-third ratio from a very young age. Whatever amount of money they're given each week, one-third save, one-third spend, but one-third contribute. That's awesome. You know, man, you just you just dropped some knowledge. I started getting excited. And my, my mind started spinning when you were talking about that correlation between plastic and money, and then on top of that, the correlation between money and labor. Uh, you don't really hear that. You know, nobody has – I've never heard it stated that way, but that's, that's so important, and I think it's our responsibility to teach the youth about that correlation, about, hey, you know, you're out here swiping these cards or you're out here spending this money. You have to really have an understanding of, you know, one, how does that money get into that bank or why is it in that bank? Like, what's the why behind it? What are you sacrificing? What are you doing on a daily basis to be able to have money in there? And then we have to focus on what do we value over what do we want. Man, and so we can have a conversation all day just about, you know, to get away from the products, right, and just get to the whole mentality around money. 
And I think that's a conversation that really needs to be had, and people need to hear that because, you know, we can't live blindly and so freely and just spend, 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 purchase, 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 you know, make bad decision after bad decision, and that thing is going to have some type of trickle-down effect, right? And guess what, listeners? Not just to you, but some of the decisions that you make can also hurt your children, right? They can actually possibly come after you for for some of those debt obligations, or if you're, you know, God forbid something happens to a loved one, you know, that responsibility might now become your responsibility, right, especially if you're like an executor of their estate or something. So this this, this is serious stuff, and, um, you know, I, I, I really in the future I want to have a discussion solely about, you know, the, the, the soft and, and feel-good things dealing with finances, the whys, the, you know, how to value it, Know, what does the money really mean? Where did it even come from in terms of is it backed by, like, gold or is it just a promissory note? Like, I, I really want to have a panel and talk about that because I don't think we get down to the, the meat of money enough. We kind of stay surface level. What can it do for us? Um, you know, yeah, either either I have a lot of well, it or I don't have enough of it, you know? The, the, the image of money is changing so fast, Ira. I mean, we're, we've yeah. gone past. We've gone past brick-and-mortar banks. We've gone past paper money. We've gone past ATM machines. We've gone past PayPal. And we're, we're on the edge of Bitcoin and uh, blockchain technology. There's, it's changing rapidly. And if you're not educated, if you're not aware, if you're not um, participating at, at a thoughtful level, it will take over you and your life. Um, you asked me how do children get educated. Let me put a shout-out to Junior Achievement. I was in JA. Yes, wonderful I was, organization. I was in JA when I was a kid, and it did a great deal for me in understanding the cycle of economics. Uh, when I was in college, I understood economics. When I worked in my career, I understood and applied economics. And it's something that is changing now at lightning speed. And it's more than can you account, meaning can you, can you balance your checkbook? You have to have a global perspective of how and where the money power is going. And if you're not aware, it's going to catch you unaware. Yeah, that's that's so true. You, as a first and foremost, I just want to really thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and just coming sharing some of these valuable topics and, and strategies and everything that you just enlightened us on. I really appreciate that. Um, I think one of the, the main things about changing the trajectory of your life is just being educated, being informed, being at the table, um, having some type of skin in the game. Um, before you make all these plans to spend, 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 have a plan, right? And so I really think that you you allowed us to see that, hey, well, the most important thing is, you know, where you are right now is not where you have to be, you know, but you have to put in the work, you have to be dedicated, um, you have to be aware, and you can change that, right? And just because you know, one person tells you no today doesn't mean that you can't 
take back, learn from it, and get that yes tomorrow when it's dealing with a purchase, maybe a home, maybe a car that you want. So always be reassured that, you know, there are options, and no just sometimes means not right now. So um, I really appreciate you joining the show, and I hope I can have you back. I'm really serious about doing that panel discussion on, on those things dealing with money, and I want you to be a part of that because you shared a lot of really good things today, and we need to continue this discussion, right? We need to make sure that this is something that we – talk about on a consistent basis. So I appreciate you so much. Yes, Ira. And just one PS to your audience. You were asking where will people learn more? Um, for those who are listening in the Metro Atlanta, Georgia area, there's the West Side Financial Capability Center. And I'd like you to look into that, the West Side Financial Capability Center. It's there for um, the children, and it's there for the adults. Awesome. Great. Yep. Another good resource to go check out and really get involved in and and just gather as much information as as possible. There are tons of books out there, um, tons of blogs, and tons of organizations that are doing a lot in all different types of communities to educate people. Um, and so you really need to take advantage of those because for the most part, they're free. I mean, there are seminars that you have to pay for, but there are a lot of organizations doing a lot of free things in the community to help prepare you for, as we say, financial freedom. So, Angela, thank you so much. I appreciate you, and we'll definitely have you back on. Thank you so much, Ira. It was my pleasure. Bye. No problem. Bye-bye. That was Ms. Angela Mitchell. Again, I'm over... You know, well over 15 years of experience in the financial services industry, you know, worked for or worked with, partnered with different institutions out there, whether it's banks, credit unions, and really just has a plethora of knowledge on what they're doing on their end and why they're doing it. And, again, as we said time and time again today, that's important because you need to have more. You need to walk in a a bank with more than just what I need, but kind of have an understanding of why they're doing the things that they're doing why they're making some decisions, why they're asking you for certain information. Um, you need to make sure, again, that you're at the table and prepared and proactive. Right? So we're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we're going to end with our depth to the score segment where we talk about the mentalities, we talk about behaviors. But today we're really just going to talk about um, some legislation that just was passed in the House of Representatives on the 4th of, of May. And we're going to have a little bit of brief discussion about that just so you can be aware of what's going on, right? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Hot Talk Credit, the Cap Builder Radio. You know my heart goes 
Welcome back to the iTalk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal, and uh, I had to had to say the temptations out. I was in here dancing and two stepping and and everything else. So I can listen to them all day. But we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up now. We're gonna go into our depth of the score segment and um and really just talk about this new legislation that was passed in the House called the Financial Choice Act. Right. And what this is, it's basically legislation to um put some restraints or put some restrictions on the CFPB. That's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. This organization was created um, in conjunction with the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010 passed by the Obama administration. And why this is so important is because this organization came about because there were so many things in the financial industry going on that were um, having negative impacts on consumers, right? Um, Whether it's offering consumers loans and not requiring them to have any type of documentation or whether it's banks charging fees on a consistent basis that was called predatory predatory fees or predatory lending, whether it's, you know, different companies not having serious not being serious about educating people on their products and services in a way that you can actually understand it. We've seen the CFPP go after Wells Fargo, right? Dealing with this situation where their bankers were opening up accounts um, you know, fictitiously. We've seen them go after Wells Fargo about some of the behaviors from the mortgage crisis. We've seen them go after the um, the credit bureaus um, basically saying, hey, look, these scores that you're putting out, you know, you're not doing enough to let people know that this score might not be the same thing that your bank or your mortgage provider pulls. You need to be more proactive about it. We've seen them go after um, some of the investment firms. So this organization is one of the only organizations in Washington that is not have like any type of Senate subcommittee or Senate intelligence committee that it reports to. It's an independent organization really only for the uh, behalf of the consumer. And so why this new act that was passed by the House, um, I think it was 32 to 26, I believe, um, in, in favor of the House of Representatives, why it's so important is because now if it passes the Senate, it will have a whole bunch of restrictions on the CFPB, and one could say that they might not have the leverage or they might not have the bandwidth now to really protect the consumers in a way um, that they'll be, I guess, productive, right? You know, they'll have all these guardrails and have all of these um, red tapes to go through, and their only mission is to protect people. But I want to give you all sides of the equation, right? We're not a, a, a platform that's far left or far right. I just want to give you facts. So some of uh, the Republicans think that, you know, this Dodd-Frank Act and the CFPB has really put a a hindrance on the growth and innovation of different banks and even different bureaus because this is a regulatory intense environment. And a lot of organizations want to make sure that they don't do anything to get fined or have any negative PR. So they're just really skating under the radar. Right, and then a lot of there are a lot of different regulations or red tape on what you can, what you cannot say, and different product features. So one could say that because of this act, banks haven't released some of the type of products that could really help people because they're in this heavy regulatory environment. On the other hand, you have some of the Democrats saying that, hey, no, the CFPB is around because of the things that were happening, you know, that led to the 2007-2008 financial crisis, right? You know, there was nobody, there, there was no guard dog. There was nobody that had to be held liable or accountable for. You know, so the CFP stepped in and we're saying, hey, no, we're holding everybody accountable. 
not for what you're doing right now, but what you're also going to be doing in the future and what you're telling consumers. So personally, me, I'll give my opinion, I think it needs to be a median. I, I hope that, you know, it, it, <clears throat> if this passes, and you know, look, the Republicans have been talking about this for a long time, repealing or, or um, you know, doing some modifications to the Dodd-Frank Act. <clears throat> but I, I would hope that it would be some type of bipartisan uh, committee that really looks at it from the, the perspective of not just, you know, how the corporations have been affected, but what the CFPB has done for consumers, right? And, and it's also probably an intrinsic thing. If you know you have an organization out there that will hold you accountable, sometimes you're not willing to make some of those risks or, or pass this product on, and you know it's going to have negative effects in the future. So I hope they can find a common line because we don't just want to get rid of the CFPB. I, I don't believe in that at all. Um, but, you know, maybe we have some middle ground on maybe loosen up some of the regulations so the banks can grow and innovate more, but still have that organization in place to hold people accountable. So I just wanted to share that with you. Go look it up. It's the Financial Choice Act, and some people are calling it Financial Choice, Choice Act 2.0, but it was passed in the House of Representatives on May 4th. Um, and, um, you know, Senator uh, Susan Warren, she's made statements about it. You know, a lot of people have been in the press, NBC wrote an article on this, Forbes.com wrote an article on this. So people are talking about it. Just make sure you're in the know. Make sure that you have some type of understanding of what's going on, and that could affect your pockets at the end of the day, right? If you don't care enough to be informed, watch anybody else. So, again, I want to thank you for, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, participate and 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 listen to the show. Again, we, we always welcome feedback. We always welcome, um, welcome anything that we can do better. Um, if you're interested in coming on the show, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me at ira.royal at italkcredit.com. Again, that's ira.royal at italkcredit.com. But have an amazing day. You know, again, big shout-out to Ms. Mitchell for coming on and giving us Tons of information. That was absolutely great because, again, you're not hearing this thing on a consistent basis. You're not hearing it in the school. For the most part, bankers aren't telling you this information unless they want something from you. So you just got you got some golden nuggets. Take it and do your own research now. Now you have the knowledge, right? You have. You, I hope you were taking notes, but you have it right in front of you. Take it and further that discussion along. Read some articles. Get some books. And really make a choice to change your financial lifestyle. Because only you can make that choice, right? There's nobody else's responsibility is yours. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, then do it for, if you have children, that little person that needs to learn something, right? They need to be prepared when they step out of here and they face, you know, life. And our finances is a big part of life. So, again, we appreciate your support. We'll see you next Thursday. Next Thursday, we're going to have Mr. William Cheeks. Um, he's another, he's a, I think he's been in financial literacy for about 35 years. Um, he currently sits on a, a board of uh, a board of one of it's a spinoff type of credit bureau called eCredible. Um, and some of the alumni from Equifax, you know, started this bureau and they're using a lot of alternative data, like Ms. Mitchell was talking about, rent history, utilities, um, to really extend credit to people who don't have traditional credit lines, right? So it's going to be a really good show. Again, he's going to talk about his organization and what he's doing in the community to further along youth empowerment through financial literacy. So have a great day, a wonderful evening. We'll see you back here next week, Thursday, 7 p.m., same number, 
Um, and we're going to keep growing, and we're going to keep having relevant discussions, and we're going to keep credit sexy, all right? So you have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.